0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: E-scooter use is growing rapidly. Last year, New South Wales was set to become the last Australian jurisdiction to hop onto the phenomenon, with the announcement that rental e-scooters would be trialled in Sydney. But the state government has since been forced to reconsider the plan due to the withdrawal of some city councils, which were expected to participate in the scheme. Now, around the country, there's still a confusing mosaic of different laws that regulate the use of e-scooters. And when accidents happen, it's not clear who's liable.
0: I was visiting my son, whom I hadn't seen for a year because of COVID, and uh, we were walking together into the CBD, went past the Melgan Cricket Ground, uh, it was the William Barrett Bridge, we were at the bottom of the hill, and suddenly I just heard this call from behind me, look out, and then this e-scooter crashed into me
1: pushed you over
0: yes I landed up on the ground um, I tried to move I, I couldn't move my right arm felt like it wasn't connected to my right shoulder anymore I couldn't put any pressure or do anything and I was just lying there unable to move
1: you actually had a, a broken right shoulder and broken elbow and you are right-handed
0: that's right so it, it's really difficult now for me to do anything
1: Following her accident, Julia Miller contacted lawyer Alice Robinson.
2: She's got a few different options. The way the law operates around these type of accidents is the law looks at who is responsible for the accident and whether the accident was intentional, accidental or negligent is the word that we use quite often.
1: This is The Law Report. I'm Damien Carrick. Before we dive into Julia Miller's prospects of obtaining compensation it's important to understand the rules around where and when e-scooters can be used. Stephen Coulter is the founder of Zippity, an e-scooter consulting firm that also provides insurance to rental companies. We're revisiting a conversation with Stephen that was first broadcast in July last year, only weeks out from the expected start of the trial of rental e-scooters in Sydney.
3: Electric scooters look very much like the kick scooters we probably all rode on as kids. They've got a bit bigger and they now come with electric motors. So you can stand on them and and push a button on the handlebar to propel yourself rather than having to necessarily kick with your feet, although you can still do that
1: as well. And how common are they both overseas and here in Australia? Since
3: 2017, they've probably been the fastest growing form of transport for what people are calling the first and last mile, doing those short journeys, um, getting to and from the shops, getting to and from transport stops and things like that. So, around the world, there would literally be millions of them in operation now. Within Australia, industry estimates say there's over 300,000 that have been sold in Australia, and that's to private owners. There's also many thousands of them being used in rental schemes
1: in cities around Australia and and millions around the world. Okay, let's talk about what the laws are for using these e-scooters either privately owned or these rental e-scooters. What are the laws around privately owned scooters?
3: Well, it's not a simple question. The federal government sets the standards for importing electric scooters and other devices, and their laws are quite common sense and have a good framework for importing safe electric scooters that comply with ISO standards and, and safety standards. However, once you get down to the state level in Australia, each state administers their own road safety rules. Different states have different rules around electric scooters. And right now, it's illegal to ride an electric privately owned scooter in public spaces in New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia and the Northern Territory. So 65% of Australians would be breaking the law if they rode one in one of those four states, despite more than... 200,000 having been
1: sold in those states. So there's a paradox there. They're allowed to be sold. They can't necessarily be used in those jurisdictions. What about you know the e-scooter rental schemes? They seem to be pretty much everywhere.
3: They're now in every state except New South Wales and New, New South Wales have announced trials, which we understand are commencing by the end of July. And that's where you have rental scooters, you have an app on your phone, You scan the scooter when you see it and you get charged typically a dollar to unlock it and then 45 cents a minute to ride it wherever you'd like to ride it. And and those schemes already have been operating for up to four years in Brisbane, Adelaide and more recently in uh,
1: Perth, the ACT and Melbourne as well as some regional towns. And what about the law relating to where they can be used? I mean, there are different rules about whether you can ride on roads or footpaths, depending on where you are in the country.
3: Yes, and, and that again is a little bit complex, but the they also have different speed limits on different areas. So what's common around Australia is that they can be ridden on what are called shared pathways, and you will have seen these in your local area where your local government has a sign saying it's a shared pathway, they typically have a dotted line down it, and it's a speed limit for bikes. It's shared with pedestrians. So in every state they're intended or they are already legal on shared pathways at varying speeds. They're also typically legal in most states to be used on what's known as local roads. So that's roads that have a speed limit of up to 50 kilometres an hour. And then, depending on the state, they may or may not be um, allowed in bicycle lanes, which, as an industry, we think bicycle lanes are an obvious place. They should always be allowed. And in footpaths is the other area where, as an in industry, we don't believe they should be on footpaths. And Victoria and New South Wales certainly won't allow them on footpaths, but other states do at slower speed levels.
1: So there's a real mosaic around the country when it comes to private versus rental and also footpaths versus no footpaths, bike lanes versus no bike lanes. It's a very complex picture. It is. And these rules, these various rules, are they being strictly enforced in in the various parts of the country?
3: I think it's inconsistent. We really encourage enforcement because with a new mode of transport, the best way to get people riding them in line with the law is to have early enforcement so people know what they can and can't do. In states where, they, where it's technically illegal to ride privately owned scooters, there's some enforcement because they're often regarded as um, unregistered road vehicles. In New South Wales, many riders have been fined more than $3,000 for riding them. But again, it depends on whether there's a blitz on them, what the attitude of the policeman is, etc. So it's it's inconsistent in enforcement.
1: It appears Adelaide academic Julia Miller and the e-scooter rider who ploughed into her were both travelling on a shared pathway. So both women had the right to be where they were. But that didn't stop a serious accident requiring a 12-day hospital stay and over $15,000 in out-of-pocket medical expenses.
0: When I was in the Alfred, I had surgery for my fractured right elbow and right shoulder. I went back to Adelaide when I left the hospital, and then I was in pain for two months after that. We'd hoped that the shoulder would would mend, but it didn't mend. And in the end, I had to have a, a whole shoulder joint replacement.
1: Are you able to work?
0: I can't use a computer yet. So no, I'm still on sick leave.
1: Going back to the moment of the accident, who was the rider of the e-scooter that struck you?
0: Uh, It was a young woman, 20 years old, with a group of friends. The friends had already gone past and then she crashed into me.
1: Who do you think should pay your losses? Should it be the young woman? Should it be the Lime Scooter Company from which she hired the e-scooter? Who do you think should uh, be paying you for your losses?
0: Well, I think it should be the scooter company who allow people to hire their scooters without any proper checks, whether they know what they're doing, whether they know how to ride a scooter.
1: Alice Robinson, a personal injury lawyer with Polaris Lawyers in Melbourne, is acting for Julia Miller.
2: Lime does appear to have an insurance policy which covers accidents on the scooter. The wording is tricky and I've got nearly 15 years experience in looking at these things and even I must say it's tricky to interpret, but generally speaking, the insurance almost doesn't cover the rider for any injury. It it forces the rider of the e-scooter to give up any entitlement to injury to themselves. In relation to coverage of other people, the policy is quite narrow. You need to be between 16 and 75 years of age if you're injured by an e-scooter, so, so like my client. And the policy is very easily voided. For example, if the rider of a scooter had a phone in their hand or if they weren't wearing a helmet, um, then the insurance policy won't respond. Um, If the rider is not riding in a place that's approved for the scooter, the policy won't cover the injured pedestrian. And so what's really tricky about this type of difficult insurance coverage is that a pedestrian who through no fault of their own has serious injuries after being hit by a scooter can find themselves a bit at a loss for compensation because this policy appears to be so narrowly worded. So, some of the investigations we're doing for Julia are looking at whether or not we can fit her into the terms of the policy and if we can't, what we might be able to do about that for her.
1: So, have you approached Lyme to say, look, our clients sustain these damages and we'd seek compensation from you pursuant to your insurance cover?
2: So we haven't at this stage, Damien, and the reason for that is that uh, we've still got a few investigations outstanding that will help us make a better approach to Lyme, but it certainly would be something I'd I'd be advising Julia to do as part of a claim. But some of the information we're waiting on around exactly the circumstances of the injury and the accident and including, for example, whether this young lady was wearing a helmet and the like, because it's our understanding the police were called to the scene and that there's a police report out there and the ambulance also attended, they'll have contemporaneous records which will really help Julia around some of these black spot areas, if you will.
1: So, where should responsibility lie? Should it lie with the provider or with the rider who has presumably entered into some kind of contract with with, with the provider, with Lyme, saying, I will comply with all, all the rules and potentially they haven't?
2: Yes, that's right. And look, it's a good question, Damien, my strong suspicion or... My approach, I think, would be to say that the responsibility is shared between Lime and the rider of the scooter, because true it is that you can't physically babysit somebody on a scooter uh, and ride it over their shoulder, and that I understand. But this particularly narrow insurance policy goes much further than that. It totally fails to provide for that person who's a step removed from the rider of the scooter and who has absolutely no control at all over whether or not they get hit by a scooter from behind, for example, whereas the rider of the scooter has got some control of how they're riding it and Lime has an end user agreement and has an app through which it provides instructions and guidance on how to ride these things. They say the scooters are speed limited. That's something we'll have to look at in terms of what lengths they've gone to to try and make them safe. But I would say it would have to be a shared responsibility between the rider and Lyme and exactly how that breaks down in terms of insurance cover, I suppose, is yet to be seen. But certainly, we're looking at all the options.
1: When approached, Lyme says it does not comment on individual cases. And as lawyer Alice Robinson acknowledges, her law firm hasn't yet contacted the company. In a statement published on our website, Lyme says safety is the foundation of everything they do and the overwhelming majority of rides are completed safely. Stephen Coulter points out that the company does have comprehensive insurance.
3: Within Australia, all the rental companies have extensive insurance. They provide more insurance to their riders and third parties than anywhere else in the world. So Lime, Neuron, Beam and the other companies here all have $20 million of public liability insurance to cover the organization against injury to people if it's caused by the negligence of the operator in the in this case Lyme. They also have extensive personal accident insurance covering the rider. And they also have rider third-party insurance, which covers instance a rider may have caused with another person or with or with third-party property. The issue though with insurance globally, and this isn't an Australian exception, is that insurers have a standard exclusion for illegal activities and in the particular case that's being mentioned the police have alleged there were two breaches of the law involved one was that the person riding the scooter was not wearing a helmet which is the law the second is that they were making inappropriate use or riding inappropriately on a shared pathway and we haven't seen the specifics of that but the the general principles of shared pathways is that pedestrians have the right of way over bikes scooters and Any other vehicles, pedestrians at the top of the pyramid. So if you're riding on a shared pathway, you have to give right away to a pedestrian. And given this incident was from behind, it sounds like that may have been the second breach of the law, but we haven't seen the specifics from the police on that.
1: Mm. Very difficult, though, because, you know, wearing or not wearing a helmet, immaterial to whether or not you're going to cause somebody injury. It is. So, so there are issues around, you know, if you're putting a machine into a public space, don't you have some responsibility for how that machine is used? Because it wouldn't otherwise be there. It wouldn't otherwise cause the damage.
3: Look, what if I was driving a rental car from Avis or Hertz or someone and due to my poor driving, I had an accident?
1: Should the rental car be liable for my accident? Julia Miller doesn't think that analogy provides the full answer.
0: I think riders need to take responsibility too. But it seems that it's very easy to hire these scooters. I've heard a lot of people saying that they've seen children on them. Anybody can hire a scooter for somebody else. So it seems very simple for anyone to jump on. But they don't necessarily know how to ride an e-scooter. And from what other people have told me, it's, it's not that simple. I think the braking mechanism takes a little while before you become accustomed to how long it takes to brake. If someone's riding a bicycle, you don't get on a bicycle and ride it in public until you know how to ride a bike because you know that you're in trouble yourself. If you fall off, it could hurt. But with an e-scooter, it's just assumed that people know how to
1: operate these machines, but they don't necessarily. It's a complex public policy question, isn't it?
3: I think that in some ways the answer there is that Victoria has probably the best insurance for people driving heavy vehicles. It comes under the Transport Accident Commission, which was set up in the 1980s. And that provides protection to drivers, passengers, and innocent bystanders who get injured in an accident involving a registered vehicle. So it's a car, a motorbike, a truck. It even covers Trains, trams, and buses. Now, we, we actually think that the TAC, who do a lot of good work in road safety and building infrastructure to make road safety, need to have a broader brief. And with the way the world is now moving to a lot more active transport, which is walking, cycling, scooters, and other forms of transport, those people are not covered unless they're hit by a car, truck, train, etc. We think everybody that is involved in moving should get the same government protection, which is intended to cover people doing transport. And transport isn't just from big, heavy vehicles. The TAC has an infrastructure. It could administer this. The cost of that sort of insurance would be low and could equally apply to scooters, bikes, people on mobility scooters, even electric golf carts, which are permitted to use roads in Victoria, even if they're unregistered and unlicensed. But again, there would be no protection under the current laws. So we think the TAC should become the MAC for mobility and have a wider brief in terms of the sort of benefits it provides, in which case the lady from Adelaide would have been covered by that insurance just as she would have if
1: she'd been hit by a moped. So so there are issues around uh, the insurance coverage for rental providers. But what about the privately owned scooter in jurisdictions where they are both legal and illegal. I mean, if if that kind of rider causes, if an e-scooter rider causes an injury either to themselves or to an innocent pedestrian walking along the street, what options did that innocent pedestrian have?
3: If it's in a state where privately owned electric scooters are illegal, then the rider's insurance would be invalid. It wouldn't cover. They can't insure an illegal activity. If it's in a state where electric scooters are legal again it comes back to what insurances the rider has and third-party insurance has been available for many years for for bikes but not many people take up insurances so again it depends on what insurances are are actually in place but again there's nowhere in Australia that we're aware that compulsory third-party covers vehicles other than cars motorbikes trucks
1: and registrable vehicles. Damien Carrick with you. You're listening to The Law Report, available as a podcast from all the usual platforms. Today, we're looking at e-scooters. There have been a number of serious accidents and a number of deaths in Australia involving e-scooters. Dr. Cyprian Radavoy is a legal academic at Charles Darwin University in Darwin. He's been researching the impact of e-scooters on pedestrians and whether or not the rules around e-scooter use are strictly enforced.
4: They are not actually policed. Here in Darwin, there are repeated uh, warnings by media, by doctors, that um, there's a very high number of accidents. There's a lot of um, uh, non-compliance with the rules set by the council. However, there has no fine been issued. And there was literally no fine being issued one year into the trial in 2021.
1: What's the speed limit in Darwin and, and what, what possible fines could be issued but aren't being
4: issued? In Darwin, under the trial, the speed limit is 15 kilometers per hour. On the roads or on the footpath? No, on the footpath. I'm talking on the footpath. They are not allowed on the road, only on the footpath. And media reported breaches such as drunk driving, uh, two-up driving, not giving way to pedestrians. That's a fundamental rule. They have to give way to pedestrians at any time. Harassing pedestrians to clear the way. Uh, Scooters being driven in parallel, it's not allowed, you're supposed to stay in a line. Uh, Not wearing the helmet, it's over 95% of uh, uh, riders were reported to not wear a helmet. These are the type of infringements um, which are uh, not policed, at least in Darwin. But from um, our research, it seems that the level of uh, enforcement is very low in other places as well. You've
1: also looked at other jurisdictions. What what have you found there, places like Brisbane and Melbourne?
4: I found that the uh, best level of enforcement seems to be in Melbourne. Brisbane, again, very low level of enforcement. We've seen recent tragic accidents there. And um, uh, the problem in Brisbane is that the speed is even higher. It's 25 kilometres per hour.
1: And are there fines being issued in Brisbane?
4: Yes, there are fines issued in Brisbane. However, only uh, occasionally and uh, at a very... Uh, low intensive enforcement of the law.
1: So there is a sort of, if you like, a mosaic of, of different responses around the country to how to e- engage with e-scooters. And of course, you know, look, there are many reasons why we might want to embrace e-scooters. They're, they're a cheap, easy, environmentally friendly way of getting around the city. So it, it's... um. It, it's, a, it's a balance that needs to be struck about how to get the good and minimise the potential risks.
4: That's the key word. That's a balance. Uh, no one denies. I like them too. They're fine. They are good for the environment. Yes, there's no question about that. The problem is that the authorities, not only here, everywhere, when dealing with this problem, it seems to be a, a, a tunnel vision problem, if you want. They seem to be mesmerized by this advancing technology and the good things it brings about. Uh, but there's always another side. It's, you have the pedestrians. You have the people with disabilities. You have people traditionally socializing on the footpath. So the footpath is a place that now seems to suffer a fundamental change of paradigm. And this is done without consulting the other categories. That's the problem. Have there
1: been any kind of debates or discussions here in Australia around those groups and their ability to, to, to use footpaths?
4: There has been, not necessarily debate, but there has been action by uh, advocacy groups. Uh, An NGO called Vision Australia, for example, made submissions to the National Transport Commission in 2019, where the debate on uh, e-scooters was uh, started. In the end, there seems that uh, their submissions have been left ignored because nothing has been done to protect these categories. Interestingly, in their submission, Vision Australia was claiming that uh, by allowing uh, e-scooters on the footpaths, Australia is breaching their obligations under the International Convention for the Protection of People with Disabilities, because equal access to the footpath needs to be given to people with uh, wheelchairs, blind, and with other disabilities. And I can testify by myself that I removed at least uh, 10 e-scooters, completely blocking the footpaths in Darwin which would be clearly a, a, a breach of the access of people with disability to that footpath.
1: Have there been any class actions brought by groups affected by e-scooters e- e- in other parts of the world?
4: There are two um, interesting, comparable, um, large actions, one in the United States and one in uh, New Zealand. They are different, uh, and the difference is relevant. In the United States, there has been a uh, class action in um, California, still ongoing. Several classes were joined together, pedestrians mainly, but, but also e-scooter riders, filing a complaint against the companies putting the e-scooters on the roads. The complaints being on negligence, public nuisance, and on, I'm citing, aiding and abetting assault. The opinion by uh, American lawyers I consulted is that there is little chance to be successful because in the end, it's not the companies that should be held responsible. Is the those who use the, the tools? When a car you rent by a rental company but creates problems, it's not the rental company. It's uh, you, the driver. But that's ongoing and it's interesting to follow. A more interesting one is in Auckland. The Auckland Council has been sued in the High Court. A claim for an application for judicial review as an administrative decision of the council to allow scooters on the footpath. This administrative decision is subject to judicial review in courts, and this is what an NGO did. They say that this should be stricken away, the decision, because the council first failed to properly consult those affected, which is exactly what I mentioned for Australia. And second, it breached the national road laws allowing vehicles on the footpath. Again, that's exactly what we did uh, here in Australia. So this is something to follow, the the trial in Auckland.
1: And who has brought this action for judicial review in Auckland?
4: A civil society group called Living Streets.
1: Dr Cyprian Radovoy, a legal academic at the School of Business and Law at Charles Darwin University in Darwin.
0: In terms of regulations, e-scooters should not be allowed on footpaths payments places where pedestrians are walking, we should be able to feel safe when we're walking along a footpath. Also, because there will be accidents, both for riders and for pedestrians, there needs to be an adequate compensation scheme for these things.
1: And you're concerned about both the riders and the pedestrians as well?
0: I am, yes, because this young girl had an accident. There would have been no compensation for her. There could be legal bills because of the accident that happened to somebody else. She's not properly covered by the insurance policy of the scooter company.
1: Even if she was to some degree at fault, what happens if somebody ignores the rules? They know what the rules are, they ignore them. Should the um, the hire company still be liable if, if somebody flouts the rules?
0: I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't comment legally about that. But in, in terms of um, my case, I think from what I've heard, she was flouting the rules because she wasn't wearing a helmet. But that has nothing to do with whether she knocked me over or not. So it really depends on what sort of rule flouting there is.
1: And finally, where does the balance lie? I mean, we don't want to kind of um, prevent any kind of new developments or or, or progress or, or new ways of doing things in our cities. How can we best take the good and run with it and minimise the risks as as you would see them?
2: I don't know, Damien, if I'm an expert on that, but I think there's an element of common sense to these things and I'm sure that Lime Scooters would agree with me when I say if we use... An e-scooter as though it belongs to us and we look out for where we're going and we try to be sensible when we're riding them. But most of the time it's not going to be an issue. And similarly with the council trying to promote a safe, sustainable way about of getting around the city, it, it comes down to a matter of how much effort you're putting in to make it safe without having to hold everybody's hand, legally speaking. And so I think it's just a matter of balancing the risks against the implementation and making sure that corners aren't cut with the setup of a scheme like this and that we do make an effort to protect people like Julia because it wasn't as it's not as though she was dancing down that footpath and getting in the way and also I'm sure that poor young lady who was riding the scooter never meant for an accident to happen either this isn't about hanging people out to dry it's about looking at the scheme and looking how we can maybe improve it so we can avoid accidents like this in the future without throwing the lot in the bin.
1: Alice Robinson from Polaris Lawyers and before her her client Julia Miller. That's the Law Report for this week. Don't forget the program is available as a podcast from all your favourite platforms or, of course, from the ABC Listen app. Big thanks to producer Christina Kokoglia and also to technical producer this week, AJ Bradford. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next week with more Law. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives
2: on the ABC Listen app.